<laughs> I want you. Okay, hold on. I want you to imagine you've opened your fortune cookie. Fill your cake stand with art, house with dirt, and your birthday cards with hair. It's the new Bible. There. Know the system you're messing with before you mess with it. Know the system you're messing with before. You... Yes. That's it. Check. Done. That was the fastest one yet. Is it worth the wait? to agreement we're back we're back we're we're back um physically if not <laughs> it's a new year michelle how are you feeling about the new year i hate january let's not talk about it yeah okay <laughs> yeah why can't we just start years in march you don't like february at all no Okay, no Valentine's Day, none, none mm. of V Day girly, no mm. Valentine's for Michelle. No, I'm gonna no. start forcing you to celebrate Valentine's somehow. I don't mind That's Valentine's Day. It's just so cold and gray, and I don't. You heard I... it here first. All of Michelle's gal pals are cold and gray. Ouch! Ouch! <laughs> <laughs> so no, yeah. That's my 2024 resolution is uh force Michelle to celebrate Valentine's Day for every yeah. Valentine's Day. I'll celebrate for I'll just be miserable because it's February, but I'll I'll show up. You just need to move to Australia where I'll eat I'll eat shelter some in the place. It's shelter in place heat right now. I, so. I feel like that is not better. I want to I want to go outside and not hurt from the air. There's no winning, right? Either way, at the start of the year, it's either you can't go outside because it's too cold or you can't go outside because it's too warm. Why can't it be a nice, beautiful, crisp fall day on January 1st? Right. So this is Angriement. Angriement is our podcast. And our podcast does what, Michelle? It brings you roughly every fortnight when we're not on break, a list of things that we have gathered for each other. That's one way to put it. Those lists of things include three <laughs> things, and that is a weird thing, a pop hey. culture thing, and, and a research thing. And then we fit them all together into a little piece of takeaway advice for you that we call fortune cookie. So what is going to be our fortune cookie for the first first fortune yeah. cookie of 2024? Yeah, 2024. What, what energy we are we know. bringing into 2024? I think it's going to be an iteration of um, a lot of that angry sad um rage against the capitalist machine everything gets a little bit worse every day energy but you never know because the things we've gathered might be like cheery anecdotes that we need in this moment so you like just because the energy we're bringing doesn't mean that's the energy the fortune cookie is going to bring back yeah 
yeah I feel like agreement sometimes just gives us what we need even if it's not what we brought to it exactly (laughs) the beautiful song that you wrote everything gets a little bit worse every day every day (laughs) has become a household staple here in my home my kids sing it (laughs) my husband sings it I sing it all the time several times a week I love it it's just so beautiful it's the upbeat cheeriness of it because like you need something in that moment to just like like it's like if you gritted your teeth you'd be breaking them so you need something that takes that feeling yeah yeah everything gets a little bit worse every day every day (laughs) chef's kiss (laughs) um okay so Yep, that's our podcast. That's what we do. That's what we do. And so I'm clear. Okay, so this podcast episode is podcast episode. Do you want to guess? Do you know? 56? That is it. It is Yay! episode 56. Good job. <laughs> and I didn't know it offhand. Um, and you go first. So I yeah, go first. Your weird thing. is sorry i had i have multiple options and i'm trying to decide which one i'm going to pick right here on the fly it's happening this is Do how the sausage gets made um well no i'm gonna save i'm gonna save the other one for next time okay so okay my weird thing which could have been a pop culture thing but it's a weird thing is that um i started out this year on a vacation which i highly recommend if you live the very specifically weird life that I live in can do that, that you just take the first week of January away from everything. I love it. I've done it two years in a row now. And I I think it's just what I'm, it's going to be like kind of my plan for start each year elsewhere. Um, and so this year we took a road trip to South Padre Island, Texas, where it was considerably warmer than it was here. So I got to like walk around in 65, 70 degree weather, got to go to the beach, got to to watch some waves come in. I got to read. Mm-hmm. It was not the vacation mm-hmm. we had planned because we were going to go with another family whose RV broke down before they got out of Missouri. And so um, my kids were not particularly happy with the change of events. So I was trying really hard to make it as fun as it could be, um, which is also going to come up for my pop culture thing. So put a pin in that. Um, but I discovered on this trip i've never been able to read in a car uh, obviously as a passenger i wasn't reading while driving um because i get i get sick like it gives me a headache makes me feel sick to my stomach this was a 17 hour one-way drive and um i think my husband drove well and we, we did it in multiple days each time so it wasn't like 17 hours all of driving like we stopped we we would like drive like six hours in one day stop somewhere do some stuff drive another like five hours the next day that kind of thing so it took us you know a full week to get down and then back and we did things along the way um and and my husband drove he likes to drive and I kept asking like do you need me to drive he kept saying no I'll let you know if I do and so I didn't have to drive and I learned that if I'm on my phone with the font size turned up in dark mode I can read without feeling sick and so I started Uh January of 2024 reading six books in six days and I loved it I was for a brief moment I was living the dream it has not 
I have not maintained anything close to that pace since returning. Uh, I think I've only read three books since I got back, but six books in six days was amazing. It was a wonderful feeling. And um, one of those books was, or everything you're looking for is at the library. I would describe it as needful things if needful things were set in the universe of Amelie. <laughs> I love that. It's yes. just so positive and delightful. It is a series of stories. I won't spoil it for you because I just want you to read it. Um, it is a series of stories of different people who end up intersecting subtly throughout the book that... Um, each have some kind of problem in their life. Like the first one is uh, just kind of doesn't know what where she's headed in life and she's working at a department store and she doesn't know how to like get a career that she's going to want. And But each of them ends up in the library, this same little library off of the um, set of a like youth center or whatever. And there's a woman in there who is, they all describe her as like very large, kind of blobbish looking woman and she looks really mean and then when she talks to them they feel drawn in by her and she's always stabbing something with her with and they're like what is she doing and then um she gives them a list of books based on whatever she's like what is it that you need and then they tell her and she gives them a list of books and like most of the books are related to the thing they asked for but then there's always one title that doesn't seem related at all and then she hands them a little um a little felt statue that she has needle felted and they all go off and then it's the story of like how their lives are fixed by this encounter with this it's just so it's just so nice like if you just if you just need to read something nice read this so my weird thing is that as i was reading this i was like maybe i should needle felt i i don't know why i thought thought your weird thing i think your weird thing was that you fixed car sickness like that's cool that's great that I just want to say that this yeah. is oh, a yeah. double word thing then because yeah. I feel like we're getting a bonus. I'm very excited about the fixing the car sickness. Um, but my weird thing was is that I am I am not an arts and craftsy person. I never like watch somebody so like knitting and I'm like, oh, I should do that. I'm like, nope, that's for them. That's not for me. Um, but the way that needle felting was described just felt so like it felt so <laughs> satisfying because is it michelle because you stab something yes, and get it and get yes it and get it's it and because get you it. stab something and you essentially create enough chaos that it looks like it was intentional yeah. doesn't that sound beautiful oh yeah you get to let out it seems you get to yeah. let out your aggression doable, doable yeah. right that yeah. you don't that you don't have to count stitches yeah you, you don't have to like over and over it's again giving so as I was, you know, trying to, so I ordered a little needle felting kit. I made a little whale. Um, and then I probably, because I also read Day's Work, which was all about Moby Dick and Herman Melville. So I had whales on the brain. So I, I needle felted this, this little whale. That's the cutest fucking thing. And, and then my daughter it has stole... everyone everyone it's it's not a visual medium i know but it's the cutest little blue whale i have water coming out of its blowhole oh <laughs> then my daughter immediately stole my entire needle felting kit because apparently everybody needs to stab something until it makes a thing <laughs> so and so last night as 
as I was watching Mrs. Davis with my husband, because he, I finally got him to watch it, because we had to get Peacock to watch the Chiefs game, so we might as well <laughs> watch Mrs. Davis. Um, I, I needle felted this creepy looking thing. It was I was following a thing that that was supposed to turn into a rabbit, but it did not. So um, I think it's some but sort it's of like still cool, like forced a, um, or something. You know, like it's like a nightshade mushroom demon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a nightshade mushroom demon. I think I'm going to give it some little arms. It looks like it needs some little arms. Who's um, doing this? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a little disappointed in you. It looks disappointed in me, but in a way that I find motivating. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I know you can do better than this. Come come kind on. Kind of like when Get you use your mom voice on me. The, oh, it's it's the felt embodiment of Michelle's mom <laughs> voice. That's what that is. <laughs> Don't make me use my mom voice on you and you just hold it up. <laughs> so, um, it's a wonderful hobby. I'm not good at it and I don't care. Like, just like you literally just stab the fibers until they tangle together enough to make a statue. And I think it's beautiful. And that's my weird thing. My weird thing is that it absolutely I am is. badly beautiful. needle felting and loving it. I feel like that's a beautiful metaphor. I'm giving in. <gasps> Michelle shouldering me a felted pig head. It's amazing. Done. Done. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It is so like you literally just roll some wool up in a ball and stab the shit out of it until it becomes oh, what you want. It is so, so satisfying. <laughs> I need this. I need this. I need this. Okay. Thank you. My weird thing is two things. Three things, maybe. Um, the first is not so much a weird thing as it is an update to a weird thing, but it is a little weird. So you will remember I have some bird friends who I love dearly. And and you were gaining their those... trust the last we heard. And the trust is gained. They come every day. We have a whole relationship. My husband and I had friends over to our house, our new house here for dinner. And those friends are going to come back into play. So I don't think I've told you about them at all, Michelle. So this is pretty cool. I have I have some new friends and that's really nice. And they're very cool. And uh, one of them is a novelist. And it's very cool to get to uh, talk to her about that. So she, um, the novelist friend was over and the bird came up to the porch. And I said, oh, look, I have magpie friend. And she was like, that's not a magpie. And she looked at me like I was so stupid. And it wasn't. My friends aren't magpies. What? They are a bird called a currawong. And it's a different kind of bird. So crows and magpies and currawongs are all the same, like, kind of, like, Corvettes. group of birds. Corvettes. And they look very similar. And they are currawongs. But the, I am not even kidding. The currawong came up. And I said, oh, there's my friend. And she said, that's not a, a that's not a magpie. That's a curl. <laughs> it's not your friend. <laughs> it's not your friend. And then she hit me. No. Um, it can't be. No. And then the second she said, that's not a magpie. That's a curl. A magpie. And there's never been magpies on my porch. It's always been the same two curl. A magpie flew up and sat next to the curl. And in stark relief, I could see how different they actually look. Man. And so never the been theme a magpie. this week is clearly instruction for you and the universe providing the instruction you need because your husband can teach you to knit. Moment. And the magpie was like, hey, let me 
let me show you what a magpie yes. is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, you know. And so, but my friend, um, let me know that currawongs are actually much shyer than magpies. They are much harder to befriend. And she was very impressed that I had befriended these currawongs. And she was impressed that when the magpie came up, the currawong was cool with it. Because she's like, those are both very territorial birds. They eat each other's babies all the time. She's like, are they friends? And I'm like, I've never seen that magpie before in my life. Now, over the next few weeks after that... The currawongs kept coming. I know they're currawongs, which means rain bringer because they make a very specific cry when it rains and before it rains. And so um, that they have that indigenous name um, because, yeah, right, they know when it rains, which I love. That makes them very extra cool to me. But the magpie, there are two magpies, like there are two currawongs, and I'm assuming they're both mates. And now at my house, at first, I was very loyal to the currawongs and I didn't want the magpies bothering them so there was like two days where I had my thong my flip-flop out and was throwing my flip-flop they call it thongs in Australia it sounds very different I was gonna say I'm, I'm like glad you I'm glad you uh, I was waving you. my thong around course um, corrected for our yes. American listeners yes I was I was like I was like threatening the magpie with my flip-flop which is we when I thought these birds were magpies we know that's a dangerous game because they make enemies and they'll attack you but that's I wanted my curvelongs to be safe um and so I scared them off and there was one point where I was yelling at the magpie get out of here magpie this is a curvelong house and then the currawong started swooping the magpie and the kookaburra started laughing in the background. And it was the most Australian thing that could ever happen. And I loved it. But the magpies kept coming back. And I'm like, I can't. I don't want to be mean. You to don't have birds. it in your heart. I, to I don't. I love beat, all critters. To beat the magpies with thongs. So I have very slowly created a caste system or not a caste system, but like just a everyone living in harmony system where the magpies who are much more aggressive and they come up closer to me, they eat off the floor of my porch. The currawongs get to eat off the table. And there have been several points where all four of them are just eating together on the porch. And it is great. And I'm running my own little bird sanctuary. And the coolest thing, now I have made friends with the magpies. And while I love my currawongs, they're my number one. They're my OG, my dearest and nearest. What magpies do is they let you know that they want food. So every morning when they come up, they sing to you. And so these two magpies come up and in unison sing the most beautiful song. And I give them cashews. And that's that. And I think that's really cool. I love it. Um, You've, have you like, recorded this song? Because you need to get us a recording of this song. I will. I, okay. I will do that. And hopefully I'll do it before this podcast comes out so we can hear it. Editing Catherine here. I did not get an excellent recording, but I got two separate recordings. Here you go. I learned when I was trying to learn the difference between currawongs and magpies. All of the birds do this about a weird thing called anting behavior which is that one of the ways a lot of birds clean themselves is by finding a big old pile of ants, putting them in their beaks and rubbing them all over each cell, themselves. They clean themselves with dead ant bodies. I thought that was very interesting. Well, why? Do we know why? 
they think that there is something in when you break down an ant's body like some kind of good for their coat like an yeah. oil yeah um i said i had two weird things that's a weird thing update that i actually did not have magpie friends but now i do have magpie friends and Kurawang friends the other thing this was going to be my research thing and there was absolutely i was hoping i would find something like really cool and could say so much there was nothing to be found on new year's eve i went out onto my back porch and we live in a pretty um you know there's a lot of people around us a lot of houses and so we went out to see the fireworks at midnight and just to hear everyone else celebrate and yell out happy new year to everyone else around us. And it was nice. So it strikes midnight and two different houses in two different directions from us, right at the stroke of midnight, start singing a cappella, man, I feel like a woman. <laughs> but like, and I was but, like, what? But Shania Twain? the shania twain okay. song okay and they sang the whole thing acapella with great enthusiasm that's commitment i mean and i said what a weird song to celebrate the new year with it's not old lang syne it, and they just sang it and it was very surreal and i thought nothing more of it we went to surfer's paradise for a little new year holiday and every hotel room near us at some point had people scream shouting, man, I feel like a woman, that song there. And so I thought maybe it was like some cool Australian thing. Like there's some Australian thing about they love it and it's a classic, but no, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Just the song, man, I feel like a woman is being sung constantly all around me. In I mean, Australia. that song's like, that can't like, what, the nine, like mid nineties, like. Yeah. That's and it's it's not like a party anthem. And no. these people, right? This was like a group of kids in a hotel right on the beach, kind of partying. And that was the song they chose and the song they choose to celebrate the new year with. I don't know what it is, but I that's it. Feels like a mystery to be solved. It does. It, it might pop up again, but as far as I can tell, there is. That was this it's not for us. Um, and I just want to make a note of that for everyone, because I did put a lot of research time into it, including going and doing interviews with Australian friends and colleagues. And so when my research thing this today is uh, sorely lacking, that's I, that's why, because I had to pivot. Because sometimes, as we've talked about, sometimes the research is finding out that there was nothing to find out, and that is still valuable research, but you just don't get it to is. like, yeah. But right. sadly on this one, there wasn't even just a little... Data there was just nothing. Mm. Well, were we ready for pop culture? Let's do pop culture. So my pop culture thing, I'm gonna take you back on my road trip. Um we were headed back home from South Padre Island and at this point my kids are both very grumpy and I was like okay I have to find something really cool for us to do and so I went on to a Facebook group that I'm in and I was like hey this is the path I'm traveling what can we do along this path that my kids like can't do in you know where I live <clears throat> and somebody's like oh you should go to Slumu and I was like what is Slumu and so Slumu 
is a slime museum. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to go to the slime museum. And so here's their little, their slogan. They're like, so Slumu. Um, so Slumu is an institute for slime that um, I, can't, I don't know exactly when it was created. It started, I think, in, in New York. And now there's there's like seven of them across the U.S. Um, and it, it so Slumu is there was a meme that went around that was like your slime name is your name with all of your vowels replaced with double O's. So um, so this is slime in Slumu links is S-L-O-O-M-O-O. Um, and so I'm just gonna, just going to walk you through my experience of the Slumu Institute. So you go in and you... I just wrote out your name then. You're like, Masuhulu? <laughs> There's a lot of ooze. I have a lot of vowels. for slime. Well, That's um, a much other thing. So my daughter's name is Ayla, and she decided to use Y as a vowel. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> So I actually, so it's a very good, good, very good place to start. So you go in, they immediately make you wash your hands and then you have to sit and watch a video about the rules, which is like no running, no biting the slime, no throwing the slime at each other, no mixing different types of slimes. And then, then they're like, men, most of all, take as much time as you want. Don't let anybody rush you. Like you get to experience Slumu at the pace that works for you. And then it's like a very, um, Almost kind of like, you know, the the curated feel of an Apple store where there's like just lots of open yeah. space and and like curved lines and it just feels like, you know, like you're you're welcome here, right? Like it, it's that. Um, but with lots of bright colors because it's, you know, these bright and and so there are these these like pedestal pools, kind of like giant bird baths shaped like beans, um, full of slime. And, and there's different kinds of slime. And on the wall, there's a panel that tells you, like, what kind of slime it is, what color it has been colored with, what scent it has been scented with, and then, like, a rating scale. And it rates the slime on, like, stretchiness and popability and, um, like... I, has all these different categories for how how you would how you would understand this slime's existence um so that's those are everywhere right there's probably like 25 or 30 of those throughout the thing and you just go and you just sink like you can sink your hands in up to like the elbow in them and you just oh yeah slime right um yeah. there's a giant wall when you first walk in where you get to take slime and add it to the wall so it's like a collaborative mural of slime that people have been building and it's super thick and it's just really interesting and then um as you go in there's some other like there's some like games you can play with this like you know where you try to i can't even remember them because i didn't like that part um like you have you create your own slime mascot which is like a little personality test type thing oh there's there's like some too um, structured too yes, structured, structured for your taste. Structured. you want your slime unstructured yes i just want to be able to sink my elbows into a vat of goo and yeah i don't want anybody to mess with me right like don't don't tell me what kind of person I am. Just leave me alone. Um, then there- <laughs> this is such a great visual image of you with both arms up to the elbow and slime glaring at everyone. Back off. <laughs> so, and then they have like, um, you know, like the like shadow dance technology where you can like dance and it makes the like the the digital wall move. They had that kind of thing. Um, they had an an ASMR room 
where you sat down and there were just like all around you like surround visuals of like someone playing the piano while there was like tinkling piano coming from all sides or like somebody like tapping their nails on the side of a glass and the sound of that or like and that it was really kind of lovely and you just could sit on a bench in the middle of that and that was happening um and then uh you got to create your own slime so that was that was part of the ticket that says an 18 dollars value i don't know about all that but you got to pick the type of slime <laughs> you wanted there was like five levels of slime um so between my, my husband who had bought a ticket didn't want to make his so i got to make two um so i made like one that's like more i'm, I'm gonna show you i'm gonna show you the so this one has like please show me your slime gritty Ooh. stuff in it so it's it's this one's called snow because it's got like these like gritty elements to it and so like little um, bubbles it seems yeah. very stretchy like yeah. bubble gummy slime yeah yeah very bubble gummy putty um and then this one is is smooth Oh, and they also like you put these little, these little trinkets in it. I don't Aww. really care about those, but apparently the kids got very excited about trinkets. Um, and then this other one, and you also get to pick the scent for it and the color for it. So, so this is one it is almost like build a bear, but for slime. At the yeah, end? yeah, like build a bear for slime, exactly. And then so like this one is like way stretchier. There's... Oh, that's like glass, almost this like, like taffy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh no, yes. it's like taffy. Yeah, yeah I see. Yeah. Ooh. yeah. Ooh, um, that's and very then, satisfying to watch you stretch that. And then at the very end, there were vats of like special slimes that you couldn't make, and they only show you these after you've already made your slime. And and so um, I but, hate that. But no. you could, but you could buy them, of course. And so uh, one of them was so cool. I'm gonna see if I can get it to do it on camera. That Ayla and I each bought a kind of it because it, it's it's called like a uh, cloud dough. Oh, I hate that. I hate that so much. I hate when textures do that. I don't like that at all. <laughs> was it? I, oh my gosh. I loved that texture. So it's like where it gets stringy and like <laughs> fluffy. And yeah. 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 That was my favorite part. So, and we couldn't make that kind. So we had to buy. I'm not some. quite sure how to explain that to the listeners, but it is like some things sometimes are that texture. What have I done? That's been that texture. And I said, Oh God, I hate this. Um, it, I think the thing that I've is like that kinetic sand. If you if you have yes, yeah, yes. Oh, yes. I love the kinetic sand. So I was all about it. So yes, um, so yeah, and then that one, the special vats. There was an ASMR like dome over top of you while you were playing in those, and each one had like a different set of sounds, and one of them was farts. So it was just an ASMR dome playing farts nice. at you while you played. Nice. With i love that and so yeah that was slumu and i i don't know like if i hadn't just been desperate to like give my kids a unique experience because you know we live in st louis which has v very cool museums yeah and, i was about to be like what? oh that sounds like the magic house for slime and like yeah like the magic house is cool you have the city museum there's so much st louis is great yeah so my kids are really spoiled when it comes to like cool museum outing type experiences so I wouldn't have chosen this if I wasn't trying to just like desperately be like, I have to make them have a memory of this trip that is going to feel like it was worth driving all of these hours. And um, <laughs> so, but I, I think I, I mean, they enjoyed it, but I think I enjoyed it even more than them. Like I played oh. with slime so much that my arms tingled for like the next 12 hours because I had like, 
haven't used all these There's muscles. A workout. <laughs> I love that. Michelle, genius idea. You and I make a slime-based workout for adults. <laughs> we basically make Slimo, sl- but a gym. An adult <laughs> gym. gym. Yeah, right, now stretch. Gym. Stretch. Just franchise. Punch, punch, punch. <laughs> Yes, we just franchise off Slimo. We don't even have to build it from scratch. We just say, hey, guys. In your them. off hours, when you close, can we have yeah early yeah. mornings and late nights workout for adults, the I mean, Slimo after hours? Weird workouts for adults are huge. Like baby goat yoga, etc. Why not slime? It's slime's time. It's, it's slime time. time. Yeah. Oh, Slimo to me. Yeah, this it's it would be the Slumu Goo Slumu Goomo Slumu Gem. Oh yeah, Slumu Goomo, done. Okay, I'm gonna leave now because we're millionaires. So yeah, bye. yeah we don't need no, to do this anymore because do- this is okay. definitely how we're getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> I know I act like this is something that we don't just do for fun, and we always do. I also love um, that you were just desperately being like, you will remember something other than a 17-hour car ride from this vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so many make of my childhood vacation memories are mainly the car ride and i'm just here to say that's not a bad thing necessarily but I well really i i went on those effort. family vacations some of those family vacations yeah, and I you did. through all of the car rides no matter how many hours yeah. it was i just slept <laughs> you just were out my youngest brother gets violently garsick would be throwing up the whole time michelle I just, just slept right through it yeah yeah i think maybe that's why i forgot you were in the car i knew you were at the beach with us how did i get there we're out (laughs) just teleported (laughs) yeah i think that speaks i remember the first time because i had never been out of missouri and you all would wake me up at each state line and be like look we're we're here i'm like cool and then i just go right back to sleep yeah yeah I do remember we, because you had never been to the ocean either, and it was the first time at the ocean, and as you drive to the ocean, you start to see it, but we're like, no, your yep. first experience of the ocean is going to be full on. We like made you put your head down. Yes. We closed all the windows. We're like, I wasn't allowed to smell the air. I wasn't allowed to hear anything. <laughs> we were like, we were going to listen to your, put your headphones on, put a pillow over your face, roll up the window. <laughs> we want it. Boom. So, yes. Well, okay, my pop culture thing is also um slightly in regards to my uh my my new friends I've made. Um so one of whom's a novelist, the other one they're they're um a married couple. The other one is a professor at UQ who works on um who's a journalist who a journalism professor who works on preppers and prepping. Oh. Um, in the U.S., which is, I think, a free, it's a really cool subject. He was going on a research trip, and his wife Laura had, who told me about the Kurwongs, had gotten tickets for them to see a concert. And she said, "Oh, do you like this musician?" And it is a musician I love. And so I got to go to see two nights ago, not last night, but the night before. Um, the musician's name is Alex Cameron and he's from Australia. He's an Australian musician. And it was just first off, just really, really nice. And so I'm I know I'm very negative a lot of times, but it is nice to be in a new place and slowly start to make friends. And so it was really cool to meet this couple who um has a lot of common interests and then just happened to have a free concert ticket. So I got to go and first right off the bat, I have not been in a concert. I did the math. 
in 10 years. Wow. And I think part of me was like, I'm too old. That, that, that Those days are over. I don't want to go stand somewhere for hours. And it was so great. It was so great to go to a concert. It was a small venue. Um, I was pretty much like second row from the front. It was intimate and it was just really, really nice. Everyone was dancing. Everyone was feeling it. Everyone was there together. Um, it was wonderful. And I, I don't, I didn't realize how much I missed stuff like that. Right. Just like being in space with people, enjoying a concert and dancing. So that was amazing. But, um, I also just really love Alex Cameron and want to take a second in my pop culture moment to tell everyone about Alex Cameron and Alex Cameron is one of two that I know so far of a very specific genre that I love and I'm obsessed with. And it is Virgo, unattractive, conventionally unattractive Australian musicians who are inexplicably super hot, just insanely hot. There's something about them. Wait, wait. Um, so, like so, by all measures, because I have to look up an image while you look. <laughs> I'm going to tell you two names because this category they are both Virgos, they are both Australian men, and they are both people that if you just looked at them on the street would go, "You're weird looking," but when they are performing, they're the hottest things alive. Um, Alex Cameron is his name. The other one of these two is Nick Cave. They're charismatic. Everyone's super horned up for them. It's a fun. It's a fun vibe. So, um, there are several things I love about Alex Cameron, and I'm going to tell you some of them. First off, and I, he just seems like a really fun, good person to work with. And he does a lot of songwriting with other musicians. He wrote two of the Killers albums with Brandon Flowers. So he has co-writing credits on two of them. And Brandon Flowers has said, the lead singer of the Killers, that he is like a brother to him. And Brandon Fel Brandon Flowers just reached out to him one day after he had heard some of his music and said, come to Nevada. I'll put you up, write albums with me. And at first, Cameron thought he had somehow gotten subscribed to a Killers fan list and deleted it. So it took a while to get through. But then he put him up for like months and months and months in a penthouse in Las Vegas. What is even weird? So that's cool, cool. Brandon Flowers, he writes for the Killers. The opener at this concert, who was a musician in Kelly Holiday, who was also super Australian and excellent. All the music he was performing was new music. He said that he had written with Alex Cameron. So he's super collaborative. Here's his weirdest relationship though. And this is something I would like to research, but didn't have time. He's like best friends with Taylor Swift. And Taylor Swift, whenever he travels the world, if she has a home or owns um, property in the area he's in, she insists he stays there and lets him stay there. So he just lives in Taylor Swift's houses most of the time. And apparently they love going to nude beaches together. So he has this like platonic BFF relationship with Taylor Swift. Um, you might know him as of last year, they broke up, but he was married to Jemima Kirk, who is an actress in Girls. Um, and she said, this speaks to him being very attractive. Before they met, she said that she loved his music and she especially loved it for staring at herself naked in the mirror too. 
which I don't have specific music that I do that to. I don't even do that. But if if your music that Jemima Kirk likes to stare at herself naked to, cool. That's Alex Cameron. But here's my favorite thing about Alex Cameron, and you're gonna identify, you're gonna see why I like this. So whenever he plays and goes on tour, he it's Alex Cameron and his business partner, as they refer to each other, Roy Malloy. And Roy Malloy is the person's real name, which is just such a good name, Roy Malloy. He plays saxophone. And so they don't have any sort of backing band. Everything else is pre-recorded, but it's Alex Cameron singing and Roy Malloy playing amazing saxophone. I, the way they performed was hilarious the whole time after the end of every song and sometimes halfway through a song, Alex Cameron would be like, and here's Roy Malloy on sax. And the crowd would go crazy. Have, have I introduced you to Roy Malloy on sax? And it just got into this, the joke grew and grew and people were hysterically screaming, who is that? What is he playing? So that he could say, that's Roy Malloy on sax. On sax. Um, and they just really have an excellent, it's Roy Malloy on sax. Guys, did you know? Have I told you? So um, there's an ongoing thing also whenever they perform live where Roy Malloy has a little moment. Alex Cameron goes and gets some water, takes a break. Roy Malloy discusses and rates the stool he is sitting on that the venue has given him. He rates it like out of five stars and tells us a little bit about it and how it feels. And they're just very fun people. And the energy of this show is so fun. But I learned that they have been friends Alex Cameron and Roy Malloy since they were seven years old. And the way they became friends was because Roy Malloy's mother forced him to invite Alex Cameron to play with him because he was so painfully awkward and shy. And then Alex Cameron's mother forced him to say yes to the play date. So all the best friendships start. <laughs> I know. It just made me so happy. And I'm like, yeah. He goes to nude beaches with Taylor Swift. He's on makes makes he has fun and makes things with his lifelong friend and uh that he was forced into playing with. so i learned when i was reading up on him that in his early 20s to make a living he had a job as a clerk for the new south wales police ombudsman and his job was to file complaints against police and flag them if they were frivolous or genuine and he said that it in the training for that job they taught him about something called the empathy threshold and that's a point where you either learn how to stop feeling or and that and then do your job correctly or quit. That if you cannot stop empathizing with people who are calling in to complain about the police, you can't do your job. And he said, I could not do that. And so he continued to work. There's a there's a big group of people who are misunderstood or desperate or maybe delusional. And he really related to it. And so he kept filing the complaints for people. But then he would also write up those complaints as song lyrics. And so a big portion of his oeuvre are these kinds of, these these characters he created from people who were calling in to complain about the Australian police, which I think is really interesting. And um, I think this is clearest in two of my favorite songs. If you want to go listen to Alex Cameron, I will say some of my favorite songs are Real Bad Lookin' which really exemplifies this, this kind of shtick he does. Miami Memory, which is very not suitable for work. And then his song, Marlon Rando, is really excellent. And that especially is like this parody of Australian masculinity. And he talked to us a little bit about the song, 
But that one's especially interesting because I really appreciated this concert did not go late into the night. It said it was going to start at seven and it did, which is rare for a concert. But that's in part because most cities in Australia have a curfew. And that's something that happened while I was living in Sydney and they're called lockdown laws. And that happened because um, thanks to gun control in Australia, there's not really gun violence here. And so in King's Crossing, which is an area in Sydney, when I was living in Sydney, somebody, a very drunk man got in a fight with another man and punched him in the back of the head so hard that he died. And so that, again, I just have to say, Australia has great gun control laws. When there was a shooting, they passed all these laws and there haven't, there hasn't been another mass shooting. And so they responded to that really hard, right? That we don't want people killing each other. And this song is about that incident. So I think it's interesting. That's all. I went, I went to an Alex Cameron concert. It was really fun. That's, that's my pop culture. It also sounds like it's like an interesting, like, smorgasbord of Australian cultural understanding that you could just <laughs> yeah a class on australian culture through alex cameron exactly. like <laughs> i just i haven't been like loving living in brisbane so much like you know this um but i felt so lucky to be in brisbane and to be seeing an artist i love who's from australia in australia in brisbane and the crowd was just so it reminded me of why i wanted to move back to australia the crowd was like very specific very absurdist very funny there was a lot of back and forth um when roy malloy was doing his stool thing and telling us about the stool everyone was like yelling out i believe you i believe what you're <laughs> saying and just i thought that was really funny <laughs> <laughs> he was like this stool is pretty soft we believe you just stuff like that made me really happy and reminded me about why i love australia so yeah okay now we we're on to research and both of us have said that our research is a little lacking this week but i'm stoked i'm stoked to hear yours so I'm just going to give you some background on mine. I had a research thing written down that I was going to research that I do think will be interesting. Maybe, you know, sometimes you think something's going to be really interesting and you get into it, the weeds and you're like, oh, this is not, this is nothing. Um, but I didn't research it. And that is mainly because, well, my life's been chaos like usual, but I didn't have childcare and classes started up and I just didn't have a lot of time. And I often do my research um, on the day of our podcast recording, but we, Catherine and I have not gotten to talk other than like text messages for a while because we live in very different time zones. So like I'll send texts which that are in the middle of the night, her time zone, and then she'll respond to them with it is in the middle of the night, my time zone. And it's just, we have trouble like, you know, getting it all to gel, which is one of the reasons we love Angriement so much because it's, yeah. you know, the chance for us to talk in person. So we usually chat beforehand, but since we'd been on break for so long, I was like, well, I don't want to spend that time looking up something that may or may not be interesting. I want to talk to Catherine. And so I just decided that Good I was choice. Good I, yeah, choice. Yeah. And we did. We had a nice, well, I don't know if nice is the right word. We had an important talk about our needed. feelings. Necessary. We, needed. we had a necessary, necessary talk. Helpful. And so, um, but I did do research today for my work. I don't think it's going to be anything groundbreaking for most of you, but I don't know. I don't know how much you know about Hamlet. Maybe this will be new for you. So Ooh, I, sorry. <laughs> I am teaching 
Hamlet to a group of um, high schoolers and we're starting it this week. And so I give them some context. I give them like a, a little context sheet. And I thought I would just tell you all what context I put on here for um, a group of high schoolers to help them understand Hamlet. So that's that's what I I'm going to talk to you about. so excited. The project I was telling you about before we started recording, I have in my notes like four times you I need to go back and read Hamlet for this <laughs> well, project here we go I'll just so this yeah. is great I'm Perfect. I'm great. Just, just another service I provide my research yeah all right so um I start out by just kind of explaining to them that um I always try to include this is a class called classics and modern film adaptations so um and I always try to include one Shakespeare adaptation one because there's just so many adaptations that are really interesting like so we did uh the taming of the shrew and 10 things i hate about you one year and then we did romeo and juliet with the Baz Luhrmann romeo and juliet the 1996 one which i just i love i think it holds up really well um and so this year i am doing hamlet with the lion king and so um, of course like, yeah That's, yeah so, yeah so i'm really excited about it but i start out my context by telling them like look i always include some shakespeare I know Shakespeare can be really hard to read, and I know it can be frustrating to try to read it as, you know, teenagers who don't have experience with reading this, but Shakespeare is one of the only authors named in the Common Core Literature Standards as, like, a must-read to be considered, like, an educated American, and so I think it's really important to have some exposure to this. Like, it's it's literally one of the things that's listed, and I, as I was rereading re Shakespeare, there are just I, so many quotes like so many of the lines from from Hamlet that are just in our everyday lexicon that I like I, it's inescapable it is everywhere and so I just I start out by just kind of showing them like you know you need to know about this and so then we talked about the specific categories of Shakespeare plays which again most of you probably already know this but this is where this is what I got for you today so um We've got Shakespeare's tragedies, comedies, and histories, um, and Hamlet is most definitely a tragedy. You can tell by how many bodies hit the floor in the last 10 minutes is is usually how you can tell if it's a tragedy or not. <laughs> not good, Catherine. I'm sorry. I, I'm in hysterics because <laughs> Are you, remembering you have the same visual the program. Same memory? Yep. <laughs> yep. I think we've talked about it here before, and I think most people listening to this podcast probably know about it. Some of you were there in person. But Michelle and I um, were in the advanced learning program in our school, in our um, grade school together. And there was always like, here's like a country you're researching and like an author you're reading or whatever. And we had a Shakespeare year and every different grade did a Shakespeare play. And a very young group of students did Hamlet. I mean, we weren't like, even in we weren't even in high school and we were the oldest group. So they were younger than us. So like yeah. you were in eighth grade, I was in seventh. So this was probably like third and fifth grade doing Hamlet and the end of Hamlet where like you said, how many bodies hit the floor and in Hamlet, it's a lot. And <laughs> so I, many. And, and they're all at once too. It's like, bam, 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 boom, boom, bam. Boom, boom. <laughs> And it was so impressive that these students had just memorized all their lines and they were doing Shakespeare, but there was no inflection and no pacing. And so for the, for the final scene in Hamlet, it was just like, Someone would deliver the line, da 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 da. 
boom, 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 and they and you could tell they were they were so excited to die, like they were so exi- excited to like hit the it. ground yeah. with that with that dramatic fall. So it was just like thud, thud, thud. Yes. <laughs> just the most just affectless line delivery, and then the most enthusiastic throwing themselves to the ground. <laughs> it lives so, in my mind forever it's how it goes when you have those young knees once you hit you know oh. it, you know, I have oh to gently lower I'm... myself to the ground <laughs> I'm dying slowly so I'm saying oh I thought I was so old and I could never go to a concert again and then I felt renewed but Alex Cameron did a cover of Twist and Shout and for one part he's like everyone get low and we all had to crouch on the ground and I swear there was half a second where I'm like what if I can't pop I can't up Oh no, I'm going to be the only one in this crowd and I'm just going to be stuck on the floor. I popped up. I stepped on my dress and almost pulled it off, but I popped up. Nice work. It's, you know. Thank you. But I got well, scared. I got scared. For knees, man. <laughs> knees were not, the, knees are not holding it down. Just like appreciate them jail. if you still got them Go working, is, is what yeah. I'm going to say. Okay. So in Hamlet, many bodies hit the floor. Many bodies hit the ground, so you know it is a tragedy. Um, Shakespeare's tragedies in general tend to explore themes of fate and fortune, the idea of whether your life is predestined or you have some control over it. And it also tends to explore themes of good versus evil. Um, In this case, Hamlet is really concerned about whether he is good or evil. In And even if he can figure out who around him is good or evil, he doesn't know what to do with that information. And so that's one of the themes that I really want my students to be looking for is like, even if you can determine a black and white world where you're like, okay, this person is good and this person is evil, how do you process and act on that information? And I think that that's really interesting because um, Hamlet, for all the bodies that hit the ground in the last act, is actually not a very action-packed Play. It is very internalized. It is very, uh, which is funny because um, one of the things we were talking about in the, the long talk that made it meant I couldn't research was that I had a, a really hard time. I, I'm doing one of these writing challenges that Catherine and I sometimes do where you get given a genre and like a week to write 2000 words within that genre with some other key terms that you have to use. And I have been given action and adventure and I'm finding it really hard to write because I like internalized drama. I don't like I don't describe a lot of like external, like, you know, fight scenes or chase scenes or the kinds of things that you would see in an action movie. And so like Hamlet wouldn't make a very good action movie in that sense. Cause it's mostly just Hamlet's thoughts. Like, even though it's a play, the, there's all these soliloquies, which is what I'm going to have my students focus on is these, is the literary theme of Hamlet that we're going to look at the most is the soliloquy and how the soliloquy functions in terms of it's, you know, the way you react to it as there, a reader or viewer. Then I'm going to have them read about the revenge tragedy as a specific genre um, that was very popular during this time period. So the audience would have been very familiar with it. And the general format is that a death has occurred before the play begins and the main character is expected to avenge that death. Um, in this case, of Shakespeare's playing with that trope a little bit because Hamlet isn't sure if he should avenge the death. He is feeling, um, you know, very conflicted about what that would mean for him. And if he's even correct in understanding who has committed the wrongdoing. And he's very angry at his mother in ways that probably aren't quite justified or at least not justified to the extent that his anger is is coming out 
Um, and he's also really mean to his mom. He's, he's really mean to his mom. I've 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 played I've played Queen. You felt that hurt. Hamlet, thou have cleft my heart in twain. <laughs> and I also just want my students to think a little about, a bit about revenge and the way that revenge is portrayed in art, including literature, but also like paintings. Um, the concept of an eye for an eye showing up in the Old Testament as this mythological place for it, but it was in like Hammurabi's code. So like, we, like going back, revenge and justice have been linked for thousands of years and i tell them like you know modern day audiences are still fascinated with this if you could think about the entire john wick franchise or kill bill or the revenant or mandy which we watched together right mm -hmm. we, yeah it's like yes we this, did <laughs> the other thing i want them to know as they read hamlet is um that so plays play a big part in hamlet hamlet uh a, a theater troupe comes through and Hamlet asks them to put on a play for the court um, but he gives them some some he tells them what he wants them to do because he's setting up kind of a trap for his uncle slash stepdad to see if he reacts so he can tell if he's guilty of marry, of um, murdering his father and um, but the, the, there's kind of some just kind of strange asides about plays and actors and you're like where, where is this all coming from but it was very much on Shakespeare's mind because the Globe Theater was under construction while he was writing Hamlet so he had a lot of reflection on like what was the oh. role how was the role of the theater going to change and how was his place in it going to change and like how were actors going to be perceived by the public in this new venue and so you can see some of those anxieties and hopes playing out in kind of these like little subplots of Hamlet the final thing that I want them to, to really pay attention to in terms of um context is ghosts in the elizabethan era uh there was a very real fear and he kind of conflates some catholic conversations about ghosts with some um protestant conversations about ghosts so the the catholic idea of purgatory and the idea that um people would have to be cleansed of their sins after they had died and we see the ghost that talks to hamlet specifically saying like i can't even tell you about the horrors of purgatory right like i am i am being cleansed of my sins and it is painful and it's terrible um but hamlet is concerned that it might not actually be his father's ghost that's talking to him and it could be the devil trying to trick him and that is a very protestant fear that the a ghost would come to you but it's not actually a ghost it's not actually a spirit it's the devil in disguise and that if you are tricked by it you could be led into hell and so um he was playing on some real fears that were popular at the time and he hadn't he didn't kind of create them for this people would have been familiar with those anxieties that hamlet was feeling um and then i just kind of give them some some themes to look for i tell them that, to really pay attention to truth versus lies hamlet is being lied to by several people um and there's a lot of concealment there's people hiding all the time to spy on people or listen to them there's intentional deceptions there's traps being set for each other and so trying to get to the truth is a major theme and just how difficult it is to do that uh which is obviously if you look at the play in a broader sense it has these like political commentaries about Denmark and Norway and just kind of the, like how we're all sort of playing one against one, each other and, and we're seeing that play out in a smaller scale 
with the individual people within the play and then indecision because hamlet can't decide like he the the famous to be or not to be quote is about him deciding whether he should even be alive and um then he's trying to decide if he should believe the ghost and then he's trying to decide that it, well, okay i believe the ghost but should i kill claudius should i kill my uncle and so there's just all these moments throughout the play where his indecision um is giving him a lot of turmoil but then once he does decide it just kind of keeps getting worse and worse and worse until as we've mentioned all the bodies hit the floor so um boom 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 so yeah there's just i just realized background as we were talking i just realized as we were talking about that since we did so much shakespeare together as young children that every time i see hamlet or read hamlet Ophelia when she's singing like he is that he is dead and gone he is dead and gone when we did that in our class you played Ophelia and I think a lot of times that's like her singing is done as like pretty singing but you're like no she's going she's going crazy she's losing her mind and I don't know if you remember but every time I read that I hear your voice and how you performed (laughs) it when you were like 13 um in my head because it was so good and I just remember (laughs) being so impressed by you and be like, oh, wow, because that's like, because she's supposed to be losing her mind. And then Michelle's playing it that way. And I was so blown away by the, the choice she made. And then for the rest of my life, even now, it's kind of like the everything gets a little bit worse song that it's always in my head. But whenever I think of Kia's Dead and Gone, I loved it. <laughs> it stuck with me. You've influenced. You're, you're, even then, you're such a good teacher at heart that you've influenced how I have read Shakespeare for the rest of my life. She's not singing all pretty. This woman is losing it. (laughs) Yeah, and you committed. It was like, yeah, I was like, whoa. That was like, oh, yeah, you got to make choices. You got to think about the character. Thanks, Michelle. So, thought I'd throw that in there. And thank you for teaching me about Hamlet. Because, yeah, I have to go look into the ghost stuff. That's why I have to reread it. I'm currently trying to work out, yes, all the nuanced differences between ghosts and demons. Apparently so was Hamlet. So you're you're a Hamlet. I yeah, okay. I could get there. No, we're the no, we're happy this year. It's new year, new new mindset. We're going to concerts. Our knees are working when we need them to. <laughs> Don't look at me like Matt Michelle. <laughs> Michelle's giving me yeah, 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 yeah. Look. Which I know is true, but I don't want to look at <laughs> Michelle held up her mom's voice. Now that she has a physical embodiment of her mom's voice, she held it up for me, and that's exactly the look you were giving me, and that's perfect. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. I smell new merch. You had to go make a hundred of those things. Oh my gosh. I could never make this again in my life. This is one of a kind. <laughs> It's very specific. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm so happy we were in kind of similar head, not head spaces, but like similar situations where I also just wanted to talk to you and I had not done enough of my research. So I was like, I'm not going to put my time into this. I'm going to put my time into talking to my friend. My research thing, um, I think we we both mentioned it that sometimes we'll think of something we want to talk about on the podcast, put it in, in our notes. And one of my notes was Supreme Pizza exclamation point. So is how I got I think, its name? Because I'm 
Like what makes the Supreme Pizza the Supreme Pizza? It was in my notes under research, just the words Supreme Pizza with an exclamation point. Okay. So I think the real the real research question and the real mystery <laughs> what is like, was who did that? <laughs> what was Catherine thinking? What Catherine did that and why? And I guess I must have saw something that I, I don't know, maybe I was hungry. I don't know. Um, so I, I put that in as a quick, like, what is the origin of Supreme Pizza? It's, <laughs> I thought it, it sounded, it clearly interested me at one point in my life. So, um, we have talked again and again about how the internet is harder and harder to use primarily because of generative AI. Because but everything gets, gets a little bit worse. A little bit worse. Every, every day. day. Every, every day. Every day. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so um, basically I found on Reddit because Reddit is kind it has of become the, last... the reliable space on the internet. Not because it yeah, got the... more reliable, but because everything else got worse. It really is. It really says so much about just where the bar is that Reddit is. Yeah. Wow. 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 Um, so I found on the no stupid questions Reddit that five years ago, ridiculous reality 101 asked, what is the origin of Supreme pizza? Weird question that popped into my mind. And now I can't stop thinking about where the standard for Supreme pizza came from. Seems like a simple question, but I cannot find any historical information on Supreme pizza any insight so i think there probably could be something cool like train crashes to really really track down the first time that word is used and why why supreme right why not like everything um the only comment on that reddit thread was by the real ape lord who responded get some sleep pam (laughs) which is rude because clearly I had the same question at some point when I put Supreme Pizza. Sometimes we can't sleep, okay? (laughs) Good for you, Ape Lord. But, you know, some of us can't. So I looked it up, as I said, very, very, very quickly because I wanted to talk to you. Um, And so Mel Magazine wrote an article, and I love the title of the article, called What's on a Supreme Pizza and whose God complex made it so? Which I think is a very, uh, that's a, that's an article title with a, with a viewpoint. Yeah. They seem mad about it. So they talk about like origins of pizza, which this is not about the origins of pizza. This is about the origin of Supreme Pizza. And um, they- Which you would have to assume pizza existed before Supreme Pizza. I don't think it's Supreme Absolutely. because it was the first version or anything. That would be wild if, like, the first version of pizza was, like, we'll put everything on it. I know. And and we know that's not true, right? Because the first version was, like, a margarita pizza because it was the Italian flag. And that might be just, you know, hearsay. But that's what I've heard. So it talks about how Supreme Pizza is interesting because most pizza toppings within their name tell you what's on them. Just a sausage pizza it's just this but supreme pizza they say on the other hand offers no insight as to what it contains and there's really not any standardization of supreme pizza oh see i have a a very i have a very strong like if i say i want a supreme pizza i have a very specific set of toppings that i expect really yeah what's because when i think supreme pizza i just think they'll put everything 
on it. No, and of course I, that's not true. I think it's it is what supreme is pepperoni, which is why I can't I can't order it because I don't eat pork anymore. So I have to make it myself with turkey pepperoni because uh, it's always going to have pepperoni on it. I've never seen a supreme pizza without pepperoni. Black olives, which are not my fave. Um, mushrooms, onions. Is that it? Is that the components that turn it into supreme? Oh, and green pepper. Ding, ding, ding. You passed the test, Michelle. <laughs> oh, sorry. What sorry. Did I jump the gun? <laughs> no, you absolutely didn't. And okay. I just didn't know if I was going to report on that or not. But <laughs> I feel like this is really working well together. Yeah. So... Whereas in my opinion, Supreme pizzas were just like, throw what you got on it. Um, I will say Australian pizza culture is a nightmare. And I like Hawaiian pizza. Love it. My favorite pizza in the world is a Hawaiian pizza with black olives on it. It's the best. And when I worked at Emo's, which is this pizza place in St. Louis, they always let you at the end of the day take home a pizza and I would make myself that. And it makes me feel really warm and nostalgic. So... Australians love pineapple and so their supreme pizza has pineapple on it which I think Hmm. is is very different but they also just generally have pizzas that have like corn they put a lot of corn on the pizza a lot of barbecue sauce they put barbecue sauce on everything it doesn't make sense to me so they break down they gave me so much information which is not interesting like Red Baron's supreme pizza has pepperoni sausage pepper onion Pizza Hut Supreme Pizza has pepperoni, sausage, pepper, onion, mushroom, and beef. DiGiorno, on the other hand, has two different Supreme Pizzas. One with pepperoni, sausage, peppers, and onions. And the other has all those plus olives. So that told me that there's a, there is. Supreme Pizza is, a, is not just everything pizza. It's a general standardized thing. And then I found the book Pizza, A Global History by Carol... Helstowski. And Harold Tilstowski says that pizza within the U.S. became most popular after World War II. And to make the new food seem more like a complete meal, people began to offer it with more and more and more and more toppings. And originally it was pizza with everything. So Supreme Pizza started off as everything pizza in a bid to convince Americans it was a good value for money. It could be a whole meal for your whole family. And it really began to grow in popularity around the 60s, 1960s. And I just, for some reason, thought that maybe Supreme Pizza would be much older than the 60s, but it is not. And so the earliest example Carol Helstowski can find of when Supreme Pizza was used in writing is at a very unfortunately named restaurant called The Plantation which was in 1953, they offered a Supreme pizza with sausage, peppers, and mushrooms. And then, but however, most likely, so all the pizza historians and pizza experts that I can find um, have said that it was Pizza Hut popularized it. It is now a standard thing thanks to Pizza Hut. And they actually started doing that in the late 1960s, but it wasn't really until the 70s that Pizza Hut became a nationwide chain. I have one last thing to offer up in exchange for my uh, poor research skills, which when I was Googling quickly um, Supreme Pizza history, I found, and we talk, we talk a lot about what is AI doing to the internet? What is AI writing doing? to research, I found the most insane 
article. It is on Time Magazine. I don't know what timemagazine.com is doing these days, but it's Time Magazine, like the Time Magazine, Time Life. This is something I think of as pretty noteworthy and reliable journalism, right? So Time Magazine, this is an article that I will put the link to because everyone should see it by Sarah Begley. I don't think Sarah Begley is a real person for one second. I think this was written by an AI computer through and through. Um, Time Magazine from May 5th, 20. Oh, this is from May 5th, 2014. Mm, That's not AI. But you know, AI (laughs) could be generating. I wonder if it's gotten where it's going to, it's going to be generating articles that have false dates. Because. Oh, maybe, maybe I'm going to have a three parts Supreme pizza. I don't know, Michelle. This, or maybe this need. I, I think I'm calling it that this needs to be one of those mysteries that is a mystery. But you tell me why Sarah Begley in May 5th, 2014 at 5.45 a.m. Why does it have a timestamp? Okay. Um, 5.45 in the morning, this woman posted to timemagazine.com. The article, the 13 most influential pizzas of all time. This came up when I searched for Supreme Pizza. Spoiler alert, Supreme Pizza is not on this list. It was not helpful for that. So here, and and so basically the article, the 13 most influential pizzas of all time by Sarah Begley. It Here's the text and here they are. Number 13, Margarita Pizza. And then it has a paragraph about Margarita Pizza. I will say, I'm not going to read the whole article to you. I will read the whole list to you. But every influential pizza has a picture of that pizza and then a little paragraph about the pizza. So again, from 13 to 1, most influential pizzas. Number 13, margarita pizza. Number 12, Domino's. Number 11, Wait, Domino's. Right? <laughs> we went from a kind of pizza to, to a, a pizza chain. Chain of pain. Yes. Okay. Okay. And then number 11 is Totino's frozen pizza. Okay. Number okay. 10 is Lombardi's. Number nine is Ed Ledoux's pizzas. Number eight is Shakey's. Number seven is Uno's. Number six is Pizza Hut stuffed crust. Number five. But not Pizza Hut. No, the stuffed crust. We've gone from chains. We've gone from kind of pizza to chains of pizza. To frozen to a pizzas. Specific, to frozen pizzas. To a specific kind of pizza at, at a, pizza a chain. chain. Okay. And then number eight, we have Totina's frozen pizza. Again. Again. Totina's okay. frozen pizza is is 12 and number eight. 11 and 8. Oh, yes. 11 and 8. Okay. And then number, oh, sorry, 5 and number 5 and 11. Then number 4 is Pepe's White Clam Pie. Number 3 is Ellen B. Spumoni Gardens Upside Down Pizza. Have you ever heard of that? No. Pizza? To be the third most influential pizza, don't you In, think you should have heard of this over, pizza? Over what? Wait, Domino's? That is more influential than Domino's. Okay. Yeah. And and margarita pizza. 
And then number two is Mast Nicola. What? Are they just making up Mast sounds Nicola. now? I think they are. And also the images of the pizza are getting closer and closer. They're zooming in. The pizzas are becoming, they started off at a far distance. The master cola is a tight like zoom great. on this pizza. I can't tell what kind of pizza it is. Um, I will say this. Exist? If if you're interested, it says this 17th century pie said to be named for Nicola, the Italian baker who made it was arguably the first pizza ever in existence, says Scott Wiener, author of Viva la Pizza, The Art of the Pizza Box, noting that what separates it from flatbread is the addition of toppings, in this case, pig fat and pecorino. Okay, that was a book. For a minute, I thought you were you cite. I thought they were citing a pizza box, but I understand that that was the title <laughs> of the book. <laughs> Sarah, uh, Sarah, who wrote this article at five in the morning on a tight deadline, was just reading like, the pizza box. Pizza box says the it's first just, one. Uh, <laughs> it's it's uh, Mastacola. Mastacola. The number one most influential pizza of all time. Of all time. Hawaiian pizza. What? That's not. This list has no <laughs> consistency in categorization. <laughs> just. It is the and it, and and it, right and the only way it makes sense to me is it's written by AI. But if it was written in 2014, that's impossible. How did a human we, being write? We this? need to we need to bring this woman on the show. She needs to explain herself. You have an open invitation, Sarah Begley. Sarah Begley. Sarah Begley. Sarah Begley. Get please down here. come and let us know what come is on going the on. Show. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet out hashtag Sarah Begley hashtag Viva La Pizza. <laughs> hashtag pizza justify box. your hashtag, choices hashtag tight deadline hashtag justice <laughs> um you know i don't hate the idea of maybe trying to check down Sarah <laughs> why why the 13th most in, of all time of all, time. all time maybe we bit off a little more than we could chew sarah it happens to the best of us <laughs> but like even but like, what? She pitched this to Time Magazine, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, you give us that." It's hard hitting journalism. Okay. Uh, I mean, but uh, I mean, but it that could be interesting, right? Like the pizza as a as a historical, like the the way that it's changed over time as a reflection of dietary changes and different. Like, I can I can see a way that that article is interesting, not like this. Do you know what I realized is happening here? What we're criticizing her for? Is having a good research idea and not following through with the research work, which is literally why I'm reading this article to you. I'm, I'm performing. We didn't pitch it to time. True, true. <laughs> my my little thing on the Supreme Pizza was not going to ever be published in Time Magazine. We, so, as we discussed ahead of time, we do this podcast for each other, and we've agreed to each other that we don't owe any specific we only owe what we can give in that week and we believe that yeah. we will show up the best that we can so we are meeting our obligations unlike sarah begley <laughs> i mean i also want to be kind to sarah begley i don't know her life and i would love her as a guest of the show yes, yes. so sarah begley we're here, we're we're here to undecided. listen we are we will we will take an open mind on why you want to be a platform yeah for you and your pizza mistakes so we could write some wrongs here it's it's been it's been 10 years i'm sure you've grown <gasps> oh my god what if we could anniversary get her for 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 may 
the 10th anniversary of your pizza article. Please find her and write her and say we would love to do a segment on the 10th anniversary of your pizza article. Oh, I'm going to go all out. I'm going to use like my university letterhead. Oh, let's go. Let's go. What is a .edu email address good for if not this? All right. So obviously we have some follow-up to do. Ah. <laughs> okay, should we wrap up? We should wrap for up. Now. Yeah. With the big TVD open hole there. Okay, let's recap. My weird thing was needle felting. Oh, will you will you hold up your mom voice for me one more time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. That's so exactly what it is. Um, Maybe I I shouldn't add arms to it. Maybe this is is its finished form. It is. It absolutely is perfect. Don't change anything. Um, So my weird thing was that I had misidentified my bird friends, but now I do have magpie friends and currawong friends, as well as hearing Shania Twain's man, I feel like a woman everywhere my pop culture thing was slumu the slime institute and my pop culture thing was alex cameron getting to go to an alex cameron concert with roy malloy and my research thing was have some background on hamlet my research thing was supreme pizza exclamation exclamation point (laughs) i feel like that i had put the exclamation point is important because i was excited about it there was something. You had a vision. Had a vision. Me and Sarah Begley, both pizza visionaries that, that just didn't, couldn't that follow didn't pan through. out. Ha ha, pan out. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even mean that. <laughs> Look at you. Look at how on you are. So yeah, um, let's, okay, okay. Uh, okay. I, you know, for us saying like the energy that we were bringing was, uh, these are all very delightful things. It's I mean, delightful. We're talking the background about... on Hamlet isn't necessarily delightful, but teaching it to a bunch of teenagers is like, I love teaching Shakespeare to teenagers, especially ones who think they can't read it. Like, it's just, it's so much. So I don't, I mean, this is just a very delightful list we brought you. It is. It is. Well, yes, we have. Yeah. Music, pizza, slime, learning. Birds. Birds. Bird friends. Bird. They are my, the. I can, I will try to get the sound of the magpies because to hear both those beautiful magpies sit on my porch and sing to me. And I know they're singing to me. They want cashews. Yeah. Yeah. My cashew budget is through the roof. I'm feeding four birds now. (laughs) (laughs) I made a stir fry the other day and I put cashews in and my husband and I were like, oh, cashews are good. I forgot cashews as human food. They were just (laughs) bird food to me. And I'm like, wait. Wait, And then we're like, we're eating like little birds <laughs> yeah cashews are great uh yeah they're very expensive joy for now <laughs> well what's okay <laughs> i i like i like joy for for now is that that's less of connecting everything up and just like what we want to take into the I, new year i think there's joy in all of these though there is the for now is what i'm skeptical oh about. okay 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 and right. i don't well, I mean, um, it's kind of found joy, 
so like okay i don't know about the research things quite yet but needle felting your bird friends alex cameron and slumu were all very intentional experiences we put ourselves in in an attempt to create environments for joy yes and i think some of those we didn't know if we would get joy I yeah. don't know. That that's yeah. not a theme that fits though. But I think for like You just didn't know um, how it was gonna pay off, right? Like you didn't know if the concert was gonna be too long and you wouldn't enjoy it. I didn't know if Slumu was gonna entertain my kids, and I certainly didn't know if it was gonna entertain me. I didn't know if need I I don't typically like crafting, so I wasn't sure needle felting would be a thing that I would enjoy. And you didn't know if your bird friends would ever become bird friends when you started feeding them. Like you had to like, you know, yeah, put some it, it was it was a leap of was, faith, right? Like, yeah. So I don't think leap of faith is right, but I think something about like working, yeah, putting yourself, putting yourself out there, and actually working for joy. Like instead of a labor of, of love, it was a labor of joy. Yeah, there's so much rhetoric around joy that it is this thing that has to be spontaneous or has to be light and easy, right? To, like if it's hard to arrive at, it's not joyful. But there's something about like working for joy, a labor of joy. Um, and of course, you just said you love teaching Hamlet and Shakespeare to students. And that's your job. And that's the labor. That's labor of joy. Um, I feel like pizza. You know, I don't quite know how pizza fits. Maybe our, our fortune cookie is life. Joy is like pizza. because you have to work for it no um it comes in a box that has words on it joy is like a pizza pie because sarah begley can't write a list about it <laughs> seems like a, a very specific i mean pizza cookie. brings a lot of joy um my husband and I, we we have a concept called sadness pizza that when we're both really sad, we get a pizza because it helps. Yeah. Yeah, um, no. But then are you working for it? Because your sadness pizza is pretty immediate. Like. I'm not making the pizza. And I feel like pizza more than a lot, a lot of other foods is something you really, you, people make pizza at home, but it is. Like, but it is. You go get a More pizza. of a convenience. That's, yeah. That is one of the most, even burgers, right? You you could grill burgers at home. That's an event. So it's almost like, like you can't always order your joy for delivery. Like <laughs> it's not delivery. It's, it's joy. It's not delivery. It's to joy. No, <laughs> it's not delivery. It's the joy. No, <laughs> it's the joy. No, no, no. <laughs> Michelle. <laughs> I'll um, take I it. Think I'll take it. It's not delivery. It's, it's the, the joy. joy. No. no? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I don't know what precedent we're setting. <laughs> we have been talking to each other three hours. So <laughs> I feel like no matter how much I edit, it's always like an hour 40 or an hour 15. And no matter how much we talk or don't talk before it's recording, always... we're on here for three hours. Yeah. I love it. Um, it's not delivery. It's, it's the joy. It's joy, no. No? <laughs> no? 
it's not okay so basically what we're saying with that is that you, you can't have your joy delivered you have to work for your joy your your joy might not always be immediate like it's not yeah. instant gratification um and it might require some labor of your own that isn't joyful right like yeah yeah you have to put yeah yeah there's a good meaning to it like you have to put yourself out there you gotta work reap the rewards yeah it's not delivery it's delivery. it's the joy no no thanks michelle yeah thank, thank you so you. much this was a goodbye was, everybody i actually yeah i actually um my back i have a side stitch because i've laughed so much i i did i laughed so much that like my throat is kind of hurting from like the laugh <laughs> so I, I could i could sing like ophelia now <laughs> you can do your real restage that perfect okay goodbye everyone happy new year bye